Thank you everyone for being on. This is Alec Garnett. I'm the majority leader in the state house and I represent house district two, which is central Denver. I really want to thank you for being on. I've heard from many of you um, that you're scared about these sort of difficult times and about the capacity of our healthcare system and the health of your family and friends. I know a lot of you are worried about how you're going to pay rent or afford groceries during this major economic downturn. So representative Herod and I thought we would bring this panel of experts together so we could hear about what you need, what you don't understand and help answer any questions that you have. I would like to kick off this call first by saying thank you to everyone who's on, who's really helped in our community. It's been, uh, it's really given me hope over the last few weeks to see so many amazing people, you know, staying indoors, supporting their local businesses by ordering takeout and delivery. To the people I saw last Saturday who donated personal protective equipment for our healthcare workers, our community is really coming together and thousands of you are listening in right now and I feel humbled to represent so many of you. I really wanna thank you for being on the call uh, today and for coming together during this pandemic. I'm gonna kick it over to Representative Herod who is a friend of mine, who is a great legislator and a great representative of our community. Representative Herod, take it away. Oh, thank you, Majority Leader Garnett, and I want to thank you for your leadership here in Colorado. Um, so welcome, everyone, to the call. This is State Representative Leslie Herod. I represent House District 8, which is in Denver. I'm happy to join you today with Majority Leader Alec Garnett and our guest speakers to share information about COVID-19, resources to help you get through this challenging time, and, of course, to answer all of your questions. Over the past few weeks, my office has received and responded to many of your questions around healthcare, paid sick leave, support for small businesses, and the safety of Coloradans in our jails and prisons. I know we are all going through a lot right now, but I gotta tell you that your care and concern for your neighbors and community has been the most heartening. I wanna give you a quick update on the Federal CARES Act before we go into questions. Um, as you know, this law was um, passed just this past Friday and will benefit Colorado directly in many ways. Um, you've heard about the cash payments that will be received by most taxpayers um, in the amount of up to $1,200 per adult and $500 per child. Um, additionally, it expands unemployment insurance as well as allocating $2.2 billion for Colorado's uh, coronavirus relief fund. Very important there. It also directs $2.2 million in grant funds to support Coloradans experiencing homelessness. I look forward to answering all of your questions, as many of these your questions on this call. Um, as you all know, the health and safety of each of you is my highest priority. Um, so before we go into the panelists, I just want to remind everyone um, that for updates after this call, you can follow me and Representative Barnett on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be sharing um, information and resources as this call proceeds and then after the call as well. And with that, I want to welcome two experts on the call today. Uh, we have Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser. He is our, the People's Attorney General. I'm so glad to have him on the call this afternoon. Attorney General Phil Weiser has dedicated his life uh, to law and public service. He clerked for Supreme Court Justice Ruth um, Bader Ginsburg in the 1990s before serving as Deputy Assistant Attorney General um, in the Obama administration. We also have Dr. Bill Berman, my good friend, uh, the Director of Denver Public Health. Uh, Dr. Berman is the Director of Public Health and Professor of Medicine in the Division of Infectious Disease at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He joined Denver Public Health as an infectious disease physician in 1995. And since uh, 2001 has led Denver Public Health through 
um, the health of our community. So uh, thank you both for joining us, and I think we have a couple more that Representative Garnett will introduce. Thanks, Representative Herod. We also have Dr. Christopher Ott, who's the Chief Medical Officer for HCA Healthcare Physician Service Group. He is a dear friend of mine and Representative Herod's. Dr. Ott serves as the voice of thousands of physicians across the nation. He works to ensure that HCA physician groups, more than 1,000 practices and 100 urgent care centers and 240 graduate medical education programs maintain optimum quality, efficiency, and clinical integrity. He has been on the front lines of the national uh, uh, response uh, to COVID-19, and so Dr. Ott, thanks so much for being on. We also have Pat Teagarden, the Director of Policy and Legislation for the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment. Mr. Teagarden has served as the Director of Policy and Legislation for CDLE for over eight years. He's a great friend of Representative Herod and I and other members of the legislature. He works closely with us and the Colorado Department of Labor, um, and he has this multifaceted role, and he'll be here to help answer any questions that you have regarded to labor and employment. So thank you both so much for being on, and I think we should get into questions. Thank you so much, Leader Garnett. For those of you just joining us, if you'd like to ask Leader Garnett or Representative Herod a question, please press star three, and right now, we've got Caddy on the line in the Denver University area for a question that we'd like to direct to the Attorney General. Good afternoon, Caddy. Yeah. Hello. Um, so my question was actually on social media. I've been seeing a lot of posts about people actually being scammed after seeking assistance because of the coronavirus. And I was wondering if you actually have seen this rise of people scamming others seeking assistance. And if so, is there a way for people to report these scams? Patty, I really appreciate you following up on this. This is literally our top priority right now. It is heartbreaking and it's predictable. When we see crises like we're going through right now, people are afraid. And unfortunately, scammers try to take advantage of and prey on those fears. So we're seeing a range of scams. Keep your eyes out. There is no cure or vaccine. If you're seeing that marketed, it's a scam. If you're seeing marketed testing capability online, it's almost certainly a scam. And then what we're also seeing, just starting, but we're going to see more of it, the federal checks coming people's way, we're going to see scams around that, too. We've already started seeing that. This is awful, and what you can all do about it is report it to us. We've got a website called StopFraudColorado.gov. It tells you about scams to look out for, and it gives you a chance to report these scams. We will go after scammers wherever we can. Sometimes they're abroad, so it's not easy, but we want to hold them accountable. If people have lost money, we want to get money back whenever we can. And we want to warn people, just like you're doing right now, be on the alert for scams. Unfortunately, a lot of people want to believe. And if you want to believe, and it turns out older Coloradans are more vulnerable here, people are going to take advantage of that in all sorts of ways. So be careful, be vigilant, and report scams to us at StopFraudColorado.gov. Thank you, Caddy, for raising this important point. Thank you, Attorney General. For those of you just joining us, if you'd like to ask Leader Garnett, Representative Herod, or a number of our experts on the line a question, please press star three. And Dr. Ott, right now we've got Matt on the line with a question we'd like to direct to you. Good afternoon, hi. Matt. Um, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm wondering how bad this is going to get for our hospitals and healthcare systems, specifically in Denver, Colorado, um, and, and what the timeline is probably going to be to get back to normal. 
Yeah, hey, Matt. So this is Chris Ott. So um, we've been watching Denver, uh, Health One in Denver. That system is one of my systems, and we've got 15 essentially Health One size systems in most major markets across the um, southern United States, Texas, Florida, um, out into California, Las Vegas. And so we've watched this in several markets, and our modeling um, doesn't yet show the curve um, flattening in Denver. We're hoping that the uh, um, new data we're going to get tomorrow, so Monday and Tuesday of this week, will give us uh, a better picture of when you guys are going to see peak. An unmitigated curve in Colorado, so so if this was going to climb the way it did in Italy or, or what we think the English are going to see, um, and certainly what we're seeing in New York and the Bay Area, um, uh, we have you guys peaking, and this, this is peak infections sometime late May and early June. If the curve is actually flattened, and so we'll know this in a day or two once we start seeing this data, because you guys really didn't go into um, full, I'll say, uh, social shutdown and quarantine until about uh, seven to eight days ago. It usually takes about 12 days for us to see that effect. Um, if we see the, the curve flattening for you guys, um, your peak will come sometime in the, the third or fourth week of April, maybe first week of May. Um, and we'll know then how many cases we're going to see. We can project out, and then this is a, a pretty easy calculation, I'll say, that any community can do. You take your whole population, so you've got a million people, you take an infection rate, and unmitigated is about 30% of those people get infected. Good mitigation gets you down into the teens. But if you had a full unmitigated rate and 300,000 people ended up infected, you end up with about a 5 to 10% hospital rate. 2% of those people go into the ICU. Um, about one, one and a half have a, a mortality rate from this. And so what I'll tell you is um, you guys are already seeing a, a, a marked rise in cases in Denver. Um, you have taken extraordinarily strong mitigation efforts in the last week and a half. And if that works, and so we don't have any reason to say it shouldn't work, right? We're, we're, we're hopeful that it's going to work in that market. Your peak cases will come 12 days after um, uh, those mitigation efforts were started, uh, and then hospitalizations start essentially 12 days after that. ICU cases start uh, about four to five days after those hospitalized cases start. So um, all that is to say, uh, you guys will have new numbers in Denver in the next two to three days, and, and we'll have good projections for you. Uh, the old projections before uh, Governor Polis uh, and before the mayor stepped in um, uh, were alarming, plainly. Thank you, Dr. Ott. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. And Leader Garnett, right now we've got Sandy on the line with a question for you. Good afternoon, Sandy. Hi. My question is, what are you doing to make sure we have enough health masks for the state of Colorado? Thanks, Sandy. That's a great question. Um, as you know, I worked with uh, the Denver Broncos and Project Cure and Minority Leader Patrick Neville last week to put together sort of a, a volunteer PPE drive, which was incredibly successful. We loaded up four trucks. We got those uh, items sorted. I was really impressed, and, and, and it was a heartwarming experience to see thousands of Coloradans uh, coming to donate one box of PPE or one box of gloves 
we had we had some dental offices and <clears throat> acupuncturists that would show up with trunk uh, trunks full of PPE for our first responders and our uh, doctors and nurses on the front lines. That has been um, uh, uh, other communities, Pueblo, uh, Fort Collins, Jefferson County, and Steamboat are all doing their own PPE drives modeled off of that one, which is great. We got a shipment up from the national stockpile last week, um, but it didn't include as much PPE as we need. So what um, one of the things that was really good is the federal government just yesterday approved Governor Polis's request to declare a major disaster for the state of Colorado. This will actually open up lines of um, additional assistance from FEMA and from the federal disaster funding. So I'm hopeful through those through that declaration that we will get additional shipments from the national stockpile. Great question. Thank you, Leader Garnett. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. Representative Herod, right now we've got Derek on the line with a question we'd like to direct your way. Good afternoon, Derek. Yeah, I have a question. It's regarding the homeless and what's going on with the homeless. You know, a lot of these people that are, I, I bring up the homeless only because uh, they can spread diseases. They're probably not in places where they can wash their hand. And when I watch TV, I see the people in sanitized suits. They're scrubbing down the floors and uh, the yeah, public places and the 16th and the places that uh, large congregations like their like our Union Station, like our 16th Street Mall, like a city and county of Denver, the state capital. Are we? Uh, uh, what are they doing to? Are they doing the same? Are they are going to be doing the same kind of thing as far as uh, mitigation efforts? As far as uh, to do that, because I see that I see all these people with suits and everything, hazmat suits and everything, uh, and also what are they doing as far as uh, dealing with the homeless across the whole state of Colorado? I mean, because they're 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 probably going to be the ones uh, bringing into people. That's just the first question I have. I have another one after that. Okay. Hey, hey, um, Derek. We're just gonna we're getting to a lot of questions right now, so we're just gonna get to that one, and then um, we'll try to get back to you. But we're again trying to get to as many questions as we can. So, Representative Herod. Yeah, thank you, uh, Derek, for your question. Um, this is State Representative Leslie Herod. Um, I want to mention one that we do know the Federal CARES Act is um, directing to um, $22 million in grant funds to support Coloradans experiencing homelessness. Um, our homeless shelters are feeling the strain right now. Um, in having to, one, um, not only obviously bring in uh, the sanitary requirements that we um, need right now in line of this pandemic, but also ensuring that there's social distancing happening within the shelters. And so Denver is ready. Um, Denver is putting in place emergency shelters and options for people um, should this uh, pandemic get worse right here in our city over the next couple of weeks. Um, but most importantly, I think people are, are concerned about the spread. And um, you know, homeless, uh, the homeless population is a vulnerable population. Um, there is um, concern about uh, spreading coronavirus through, that, through the population as well as the, um, all of our population. So what I want to do is kick it off to Dr. Berman, who will be able to specifically answer what Denver um, is doing and could be doing and should be doing um, around our homeless population challenges. Sure. Thanks, Representative Herod. Uh, the things that the city has done is to increase isolation facilities. So those are for people who either have uh, suspected or confirmed COVID disease so that they can be in a place, be off the streets and uh, not spread COVID and be safe themselves. Uh, we've introduced symptom screening at the Stout Street Health Center 
at the night shelters, at the Denver County Jail, and then we're starting as tests become more available to introduce testing as well, because clearly testing is a key part of understanding current transmission and then uh, decreasing that transmission. Thank you for that. If you'd like to ask Leader Garnett or Representative Herod or a number of our experts on the line a question, please press star three. And Pat Teagarden, we've got Rodney on the line with a question we'd like to direct to your way. Good afternoon. Hi. Are you hearing me? Hi, Hi Rodney. Rodney. Yes. Hi. Yeah, I'm a, a freelance musician. I live in Louisville, and I know that the CARES Act has, a, you know, basically all the musicians I know have lost all of our work. It has a, a new unemployment insurance that is the pandemic unemployment insurance that's supposed to be run through the state, and that will give us unemployment insurance, although we don't usually have that. Um, I'm curious, is the state working on setting up a system to do this, and when will that be set up, and how will we find out when to apply for this unemployment insurance? Rodney, thank you. This is Pat Teagarden from Labor and Employment, and that is a perfect question. Um, we are, in, we have, in fact, as you said, the federal program is going to provide for those who, like you and many musicians and others, independent contractors and others who are not typically covered by more standard unemployment insurance, which is for W-2 employees and uh, and is uh, is already settled in terms of the procedures. With regard to this new program, uh, we are asking people to give us a couple of days before they go online to file. We are in the process of trying to get that system integrated as quickly as we can uh, determine. We're still working through with the feds uh, what the precise procedures are for getting those benefits and getting them transferred. But it is our plan to have uh, additional uh, information up on our uh, unemployment insurance website by early this week. That, num that uh, website is coloradoui.gov, and that's frequently asked questions. And with regard to the CARES Act and your specific question, we should have some timing up. Uh, I don't want to promise Monday, but certainly uh, before Wednesday, we're going to have the, the timing issue up. The, the key is to not have people apply before the, before the federal uh, benefits are available online so that you don't unnecessarily get rejected through the standard unemployment insurance program. Yeah, and this Thank is Representative Wesley Herod. I just wanted to add in, um, if you are in the city and county of Denver, um, Denver um, artists and small businesses can seek uh, cash grants through um, their programs as well. So I'd recommend checking in with the City and County of Denver's webpage um, to see what opportunities are available. Also, if you happen to have the resources to donate to one of those funds, like the Artist Relief Fund um, or the Small Business Relief Fund, um, please do uh, reach out to the City and County of Denver or check on our pages as we'll have that information to share. Thank you, Representative Herod. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. And Dr. Berman, right now we've got Marco on the line with a question we'd like you to answer first. Good afternoon, Marco. Good afternoon. A quick uh, two-part question, real short. Uh, I've heard that uh, once you get it, and if you get through it, you are immune. And if you are immune, can you pass it on, or are you in the clear? Great question. Um, we don't have definitive data right now, but it looks like there's at least short-term immunity following infection. Obviously, this only was discovered in, in December, so we don't know if that 
confers long-term immunity. But from what we know about other coronaviruses, cousins, if you will, of this one, uh, there will be at least short-term immunity and perhaps long-term immunity. Uh, once you're over the infection, you do not pass to someone else. Thank you for that. Dr. Ott, right now we've got Sharon on the line with a question we'd like to direct your way. Good afternoon, Sharon. Good afternoon. I was wondering, as far as the mail that I received from the post office, how does the coronavirus affect me handling that mail? Yeah, so um, you can handle your own mail. The coronavirus actually lives on or can live on metal and plastic services in ideal situations up to three days um, on cardboard, paper surfaces, dry surfaces, um, uh, the, 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 the chance that you would transmit coronavirus by mail is uh, almost non-existent. So um, what I would say is wash your hands, like you should, like if you're handling anything public, um, open your mail, wash your hands after. Um, the chance of transmission from that or from Amazon packages or cardboard is extraordinarily low. Don't fear your mail. Thank you, Dr. Ott. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. Representative Herod, right now we've got Walker on the phone. We'd like to direct his question your way. Good afternoon, Walker. Good afternoon. Uh, my question is about our criminal justice system. Um, how is this pandemic affecting our criminal justice system? And, and in particular, uh, what measures are being taken to protect the people who are incarcerated in jails and prisons? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for that question. This is a issue that is uh, very concerning to me um, as you all focus on criminal justice reform and being in the prisons. Um, I'll, let me start with talking about the jails. Um, as you all know, there are now jails every single day. Um, approximately 600 people are released from our jails daily. Uh, that um, definitely includes offenders, but also includes sheriffs, maintenance workers, lawyers, interpreters, probation officers, all of that. Um, and that's just in our area here in, in the Denver metro area. And so what I would say is it's, it's very important that we um, ensure that we are containing the spread of um, COVID as, as much as possible within the jails. So Denver Jail has done um, a lot to make sure that we are mitigating the spread within the jails. I'll um, let Dr. Berman talk about that in a second. Um, but what I want to make sure that, that you know is that Denver has decreased the number of people going into the jails as well um, because it's just not the, the appropriate time to be sending folks in for um, low-level offenses or because they can't afford their bond um, within this kind of population during a, a pandemic like this. Um, also, at the state level, we have um, the governor who oversees our, our prison system. Um, he has issued an uh, executive executive order last week specifically on prisons and community corrections. For those of you all who have followed the work in the prisons, you know that we have an actual facility that was initially built for isolation, um, a CSP2, which is um, down in southern Colorado. Um, and what we have done is allowed for that facility to be used um, for the containment um, and to ensure that folks have uh, space for isolation. And so in the governor's executive order for the health and safety of offenders and correctional officers, we are allowing for the use of CSP2 so we can um, move people safely uh, through the facilities and ensure that um, we are allowing for social distancing. 
So the orders are new. Um, there's also other things that have been added to the order, additional phone calls, um, no visitors, um, and testing uh, for folks who are coming in and out of the facility. Um, but the order is new, so we don't know um, if that has decreased the spread or not yet, but we will know soon. Um, we do know that we have not had a, um, a large outbreak in any of our um, prisons as of Friday. Um, but I think something else to be a little bit concerned about is our detention facilities, so our immigration detention facilities. Right now, we don't really know what's going on in the Aurora Immigration Detention Center, um, GEO, as some of you may know. Um, what we do know is that there are folks who have tested positive. Some are saying up to 30 individuals have tested positive in that facility. Um, and so I think we need to put a little bit more focus and work um, to, to understand what's going on in our detention facilities and our communities and ensure that we're stopping the spread there as well. Um, Dr. Berman, do you want to add anything about what Denver's doing in our in our jails? Sure. You, you have some great points there. Just a few quick things to add. So all persons are, are have symptom screening for COVID as they're booked into the jail. Those who have positive symptoms are put in isolation and are tested, uh, and then PPE is available for all the staff at the jail. Thank you, Representative Herod, and thank you, Doctor, for that. If you'd like to ask Leader Garnett or Representative Herod or a number of our experts on the line a question, please press star three. Dr. Berman, we've got Evelyn on the line with a question we'd like to direct your way. Good afternoon, Evelyn. Just Evelyn, are you with us? Yeah, yeah. Yes, can we can. Me? Okay. Yes, so, what's your question? So uh, one question I have is that I heard kind of through the grapevine that uh, some of the hospitals in Denver uh, believe that they may have to turn people away who are over the age of 60. Now, I'm not sure if it's a COVID thing or if they get turned away because there's not enough room or um, – for other um, for other admissions, or you know, they turn them away altogether. So, question is, is that uh, how real, how realistic is this uh, notion, and also what could be done to avoid that? Well, thanks, Evelyn. Uh, I work at Denver Health, and there are no plans at Denver Health to turn away anyone, regardless of age. And I don't know of anything from any other hospital in Denver that would suggest that either. The, what is happening is a discussion about if resources become very stretched, as they are in some parts of New York City right now, there may be decisions that need to be made about the use of ventilators, for example, and age and degree of chronic illness may come up in, in dire situations in which the healthcare system is overwhelmed. We certainly hope to not have that occur in Denver, and a lot of work is happening to, to try to prepare so that we don't end up in any situation like that. So, for example, Denver Health, where I work, is more than doubling its ICU beds over these next two weeks to be able to handle that rush and is requesting assistance to get additional equipment, including ventilators. So I hope that we don't ever get into that situation. If we do, there, there will be choices that have to be made. And Bill, it's Thank Chris. You, let me add. Let me add in really quick. Um, my colleagues over at Centura and then my folks at Health One, um, age does not play into current uh, treatment algorithms at all. It basically, is the pathology of the individual. I think what the caller may be referring to, though, is that there are a lot of physician offices 
um, and some urgent cares, a lot of specialists who have um, asked their patients who are 65 and older um, if they will do telephonic care, if they will do telehealth, and it's not to turn them away from care, it's to keep them from being exposed in the community. So it's actually a, a proactive public health move to keep those keep people, uh, you know, 65 or older, away from healthcare campuses now um, for their own safety. But if you need medical care, there's there's not a healthcare system that I've heard of um, that is turning anybody away for age. Uh, and then to, to Bill's point about Dr. Berman's point about crisis standards of care, there's no municipality in the United States yet that has gone to crisis standards of care. Um, if you hear that or you see that in New York or if something, you know, if the Bay Area cases continue to climb, um, uh, there will be a lot of news about that, a lot of education around what, it, what that actually means in a time of uh, scarce resources and, and uh, uh, who we treat and um, uh, who potentially uh, will have increased mortality from this. Thank you for that information. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. And we've got Jay on the line with a question we'd like to direct to you, um, Pat T. Garden. Good afternoon, Jay. Hello? Jay, are you with us? Hey. Yes. Hi, Jay. Hi, what's, your sorry. what's your question? Uh, my question is regarding, um, for those of us that still have to work, uh, what are the uh, rights of the employees to know or the requirements of an employer to inform you if a coworker or someone relative to the job is tested positive? Are they required to tell us? Or Thank you. Pat, this is you Pat Teagarden from the department. Thank you. This is Pat Teagarden from the Department of Labor and Employment. I'm not sure that I'm necessarily qualified to answer that specific question. So I would certainly be happy to look into it and follow up at a later point in time. But I, I don't know actual health disclosure requirements for employers. This is Phil Weiser, Attorney General. Let me see if I can help a little bit. And you've touched on an area that's very sensitive because there are privacy rights in uh, a federal law known as HIPAA. Uh, Health Information Privacy and Portability Act, and the challenge is where do the rights of someone to have their information remain confidential, and, and where do the rights of people who might be exposed? And so the, the accommodation that I know some employers are trying to do is to keep the individual names um, confidential, but try to, wherever possible, share information with people that they might be exposed so they can take appropriate precautions. But it is a delicate area, as Pat noted. Yeah, this is Dr. Bill Berman from Denver Public Health. If I can add just quickly, that's the way we handle all kinds of communicable diseases. We share that a person may have been exposed to a disease like COVID or tuberculosis. We never share who the person was. Um, so that is the process. Thank you for that. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. Leader Garnett, right now we've got Chris on the line with a question for you. Good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon. Are the school districts in the metro area in sync in terms of a, an ETA uh, return date to school? And in the interim, or if they decide not to reopen for, for the school year, are, there, are they, do they have a plan for online or wh wh what are the parents to do? Yeah, thanks, Chris. That's, uh, that's a really good question. As you know, the major school districts in the metro area, Jeffco, Denver, 
um, others went into recess uh, a little bit over two weeks ago. Some of our rural districts, because remember, we have 178 school districts in Colorado. Um, we're still uh, meeting. We're still having classes. The governor uh, issued an executive order uh, closing all in-person meetings uh, across the state for all of those school districts. Many school districts under sort of our local control model have the authority to start online uh, teaching, and many have gone in that direction. In terms of coming out of um, this all in unison, one, they are talking. Uh, two, because of the governor's executive order, there will sort of the governor will have to lift that in order for people to come back and start meeting again. I am hearing speculation that there probably um, there's a good chance that there won't be in-person teaching again for this school year. Uh, but I don't think those decisions have all been made yet. And I think the other thing the school districts are all watching very closely is what the economic downturn is doing to the state's budget and how that's going to impact the School Finance Act, which is the school finance formula where we, you know, distribute state funds to the 178 school districts. I think the districts are very concerned about the impact on school funding. So those are the things uh, that I'm hearing, but that's a great question. Thank you for that. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. Attorney General Reiser, Reiser, right now we've got Tamara Beth on the line with a question we'd like to direct to you first. Good afternoon, Tamara Beth. Hi. So my question kind of relates back to what uh, Jay was asking. My employer is not taking this at all seriously. Um, in fact, from what I've heard from coworkers, they're not doing any social distancing or anything like that. My wife is immunocompromised and her doctors have made it clear that if she gets this, it won't end positively. Uh, so I just want to know what my stance is on whether or not I can deny to go to work and if they could fire me for that. This is a, uh, another important question to know about. Let me start with the first point, which we have a statewide stay-at-home order governing all but the most essential um, employers. If you are not in that category and your employer is still requiring you to go to work, that is something to take up with your public health department who can oversee that employer and their conduct. If you are an essential employer, you have to follow social distancing and responsible public health requirements. It sounds like from your question, that's what you're most concerned about here, Tamara Beth. That also is something to take up with the public health agency. The question you've then gotten to is, and this may be a little bit of a question also for Pat Tiergarten, is if you engage in what uh, some might call whistleblowing, which is tell the employer, hey, you're not following the relevant legal requirements and you're fired for having reported illegal activity, are there state law protections for employees who whistleblow? Um, Pat, uh, you might know the specifics on that one. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. And yes, uh, to the Attorney General's point, there are anti-retaliation uh, uh, measures in our laws. So if that were to happen, and hopefully it will not happen, you need to contact us directly and uh, we will immediately investigate that sort of a complaint as well as referring it to others for enforcement. 
Thank you both for that information. Again, we're trying to get to as many questions as we can. Dr. Ott, right now we've got Adam on the line with a question we'd like to direct your way. Okay. Good afternoon, Adam. Hello, um, this is Adam. Uh, thank you guys for doing this. Uh, I just wanted to ask because, you know, there's a lot of things flying around. I've heard about uh, a case study in Telluride where they're testing for the antibody at this point. Uh, where they're doing the whole town or the whole county, I hear, and then in 14 days again. Are they working with the FDA and stuff so that, you know, that could maybe be publicly available at some point? Yeah, so I, I actually, I've heard that Telluride's doing that. I'll, I'll tell you, um, there is one good type of test for this virus. It's a PCR test. Uh, with that, it's, it's basically a very um, specific type of lab test that you run where you're actually looking for the DNA, RNA of the particular virus. Um, that's the, the gold standard test, um, and that's what people should be, should be using. There have been a number of companies that have come forward, and they have something called an IgG and IgM test. And so when your body gets the virus, you make antibodies to fight it off. The, these tests measure those antibodies. The problem with those tests, and the reason you don't see them being used in almost any healthcare setting, is that they're positive when you've had other coronaviruses in the past. And so we've all probably had one or two, you know, coronavirus infections over the course of our lives, not COVID-19. Um, and so you screen positive, but you have a whole population of people that that doesn't mean they have COVID-19. And so you're giving them false hope that maybe they had a light case and they're immune. And then the second portion of that test, the IgM portion tells you if you have an acute infection, the problem is that ne doesn't necessarily turn positive until five, seven, nine days. And so you're already through the course of the illness. So our, our recommendation and, and, you know, across the country, what we've pushed back on um, is using those IgG, IgM tests to do anything other than um, some uh, public health surveillance. I think that's the, the road Telluride went down. Um, we would, I would not recommend going down that road. Somebody out there thought it was a good idea. Thank you for that. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star three. And Leader Garnett, right now we've got Mark on the line with a question we'd like to direct your way. Good afternoon, Mark. Hello. Uh, thank you for the taking the time to do this. Um, for those of us out there in the community who are trying to solve this problem with everyone else, my question is this. Is there a mechanism for us to provide suggestions to government leaders to solve problems that we see every day. One example is if you go to a supermarket anywhere in Denver, there's two-way traffic up and down the aisles, potentially allowing people to commingle and violate social distancing guidelines. So if we want to make a suggestion like one-way traffic down the aisles, how do we do that? Yeah, thanks, Mark. That's um, I, I I like that question. We've been getting, uh, we've been fielding a lot of those questions from constituents and suggestions What's essentially happened is because the governor declared a state of emergency, <clears throat> he has received a lot of executive power to issue executive orders that you've heard Leslie Herod, or Representative Herod and Attorney General Weiser mention. Um, what we've been doing is taking those suggestions from community members and going and meeting with the governor's office uh, remotely over the phone, uh, practicing social distancing, but taking those ideas and their turnaround has been uh, very, very swift. So, for example, 
I have a bunch of restaurants in my district who have been hit especially hard and had to shut down and, and, and had to let go of, um, you know, hundreds of employees. And so as they were thinking through ways to provide them some relief, uh, they came to me and others and suggested allowing um, them to sell alcohol for takeout, which under Colorado statute, you're not allowed to do. But the governor heard those requests loud and clear. He issued an executive order. And so that's why there's that flexibility now for restaurants to try to, you know, generate a little bit more revenue uh, that way. And so specifically to your question about um, grocery stores, I know the governor had a conference call with all of the CEOs last week to talk through some social distancing practices that they should put in place, like dots on the floor uh, at checkouts that are six feet apart. I actually haven't seen that in practice yet. Um, and so I think in terms of one-way uh, aisle shopping, that's a really good one. So I would suggest that you email Representative Herod or myself, and we can follow up with those types of ideas with the governor who can then put them into executive orders. My email is just alec.garnett at gmail.com. Anybody can email me their thoughts and their suggestions. And Representative Herod, do you want to chime in with your email? Representative Herod? Yep, sorry about that. You can reach me at um, Leslie at LeslieHerod.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-H-E-R-O-D. Thank you all for that. Attorney General Weiser, right now we've got Sharon on the line with a question we'd like to direct your way. Good afternoon, Sharon. Hello. Um, my question is, for those of, who have been affected, is it? The employment's been affected by this. It's been suggested that um, they call creditors to negotiate an alternate payment plan or possibly pause payments temporarily. And I've recently seen on social media that the creditors are granting those requests, but they're also freezing the credit. Have you heard anything about that? Sharon, thanks for raising this point. I, I do want to emphasize whether you're a renter or you've got student loan debt or other forms of debt, do not feel like you are squeezed and have no choices. In almost all cases, there are protections right now. And in our office, we're going to keep working on how to support people who are hurting because of the economic fallout that's going to continue to happen in the wake of this public health crisis. Uh, with respect to evictions, our office has been working to uh, with courts to have no courts process evictions. And a number of courts have said they're not going to process evictions during this time. Um, keep an eye out on that. Um, we'll keep working on that. With respect to student uh, debt, I believe the recent law, and Representative Herod can confirm this, actually put a uh, hold or moratorium on any student debt collection until, I believe it's August, but uh, Representative Herod, and I was uh, studied that law closely. Third, with other forms of debt, this gets to your question, um, I would really strongly encourage you to do what you just did, which is talk to whoever the creditor is and ask for some type of forbearance um, it's possible that they won't raise your overall credit limit, say if it's a credit card company, but I do believe they will go ahead and give you some leeway. Uh, that has been what almost all of them announced. If it's a utility uh, company, uh, I believe almost all of them, the electric company, telephone companies, have for at least 60 or 90 days said they're not going to do any cutoffs, they're not going to put on late fees. So those are also bills where you have some real flexibility. Uh, finally, what I just want to emphasize, too, because this is going to come up, a lot of people who are going to feel, again, somewhat 
more desperate and concerned might be looking for where they can get credit. We have in Colorado a statutory cap that was passed by the people against payday lending type operations. No one should be paying more than 36% for credit. We regulate and oversee that in our office. If you see any sort of payday lending schemes above 36%, uh, please let us know about that. Um, Representative Hare, you've really been focused on this issue. I know you've been following the federal law. Uh, what, what would you like to add to that? Yeah, no, I think you um, got it right, Attorney General um, Weiser, about uh, student loans and, and seeking um, debt relief there. The one thing that I will just add to what you said around all creditors, one, I want to thank you for your leadership and really um, pushing and using your weight to, to tell these uh, collectors that, you know, now is not the time to collect and that you will use the authority of your office um, to step in uh, if they are not doing what's right by Coloradans. So very much appreciate that. And what I will just add is that common sense will tell you, right, that you have to be in communication with your, um, with the person who owns that, you know, that debt, your debt collector. So whether it be it your student loans, your mortgages, your rent, um, your credit card, call them and ask for that deferral. Don't just assume it's going to happen. Um, we want to make sure that we are staying, you know, ahead of things when it comes to especially things like credit reporting and all of that. And the best way to do that is to have that conversation um, with your creditor ahead of time, and then we will be there as your elected leaders um, to fight to ensure that, um, you know, we are ensuring that Coloradans are getting through this economic downturn together. Thank you, Attorney General and Representative Herod. Right now, we've got Michael and Suzanne on the line with a question we'd like to direct to Dr. Berman. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, my question is, uh, where are we right now uh, uh, in terms of getting into this market for protective, uh, personal protective equipment here in particular for our first responders, which should be the first ones to get uh, PPE uh, as soon as it becomes available issued. And uh, my, my wife is a first responder. She's a visiting nurse. So um, after two weeks of quarantining, she's gone back to work, but without being tested, she doesn't have any, any uh, symptoms uh, uh, of note, but uh, she did have to go back to work without being tested. We, it took us over a week, and Denver Health and all, we checked in with the state health department. She got a doctor's order to go ahead and get tested. But uh, as far as that was concerned, every, every uh, one she tried to contact said, no, nah, it's not going to happen because uh, we don't have tests. And she is a first responder. She's an RN, and she's been doing this for almost 40 years. So that was, uh, that was my question. But as an adjoinder, I want to ask uh, the Attorney General, what's he going to do in terms of uh, legally holding responsible people that are gouging in particular and these scammers and all across the country, I, I mean, it's just terrible. I'm from New York City. And, and, hey, Michael, uh, Michael. Yes, yes, ma'am. Michael, go, gotta, go right we're ahead. trying to get to as many questions. So, Dr. Berman, I'm going to have you address the first part of Michael's question, and then Attorney General Weiser, if you want to take over the second part, please. Sure, Michael. You, you touched on two of the key issues, both uh, PPE or, or personal protective equipment and then the availability of testing for COVID, and both have been – uh, in very short supply in the early parts of this epidemic, and and uh, that's been a, a big problem for first responders, hospitals, uh, all kinds of people. Uh, what I can say is that the supplies of personal protective equipment are 
are slowly loosening up. We still have difficulty getting orders. We certainly don't get full orders filled, but I think it's improving somewhat. It helped, as someone mentioned earlier, that the, the strategic national stockpile was opened. It wasn't sufficient, but it added to the amount of PPE available. And then finally, someone earlier mentioned uh, the, the PPE drives that have been done with individuals and businesses. And with all of those, I think the situation has improved. It's not where it needs to be. And of course, there's a lot of work happening to try to increase the manufacture of masks, gloves, gowns, et cetera. Uh, it's largely the same message for testing. It, it's been way too difficult to get testing in Denver and, and across the country, but that's slowly improving. So many commercial laboratories and hospital laboratories finally are getting test kits that work on the testing machines that they use. And so that doesn't give us the ability to test everybody who might need to be tested, but it's improving. So it's been bad. It's slowly getting better. Let me jump in on the second part. This is Attorney General Phil Weiser, and you're right. The price gouging that's happening right now, I've been hearing about some of it even for PPE. It's disgusting and shameful, and we need your help to figure out who's selling, whether it's testing equipment or toilet paper or hand sanitizer at levels that are well above what other reasonable sellers are selling today or even maybe what were being sold before. Uh, and, and here the trick is, Aligned between what you might call ordinary supply and demand and people who are acting in an opportunistic way. And with great thanks to Majority Leader Garnett and Representative Herod, I now have authority to go after people who are doing such unconscionable and unfair acts. Uh, before now, there wasn't such authority, but there was a change last year for the first time in 30 years to give us more consumer protection authority. And so I need your help. As you hear about whether it's testing equipment or PPE or hand sanitizer, people who are engaging in this awful behavior, go to stopfraudcolorado.gov and report what's happening. Amazon's also been a good partner with us. They've got their own policy. So when we see stuff that's on Amazon getting sold here in Colorado, we can tell them so they can take action as well. So again, we need your help. Let us know about price gouging at stopfraudcolorado.gov. Thanks so much. Thank you for that important information. Right now we've got Jerry on the line with a question we'd like to direct to Representative Harrod. Good afternoon, Jerry. Hello, Mary, are you with thank us? You. I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, thank you for hosting. I appreciate that. Question um, on health insurance. Um, I'm potentially, I was 40 hours a week. I'm a W-2. I contract out to another firm. I'm potentially going to 20 hours a week. So they let me know that the health insurance that I currently have is only, um, you have to work 30 hours or more. So is there other um, insurance alternatives? Can I go under unemployment to collect the additional? Um, so those are some of the questions I have. Yeah, thank you so much for asking that question. Um, we've actually received this in my office a lot. So uh, because people have asked this question, again, raising your voices, um, the governor and the administration has taken a step forward to reopen Connect for Health Colorado, which is our health exchange. So you can actually go onto the exchange and purchase insurance um, outside of our, you know, typical enrollment period uh, today. And so I encourage you to go to connectforhealthco.com um, to sign up. That's where you'll get the, the most important information. Um, and 
I think a lot of folks are in your same boat and folks even, you know, who maybe haven't changed their um, employment or whatnot also now want to sign up for health insurance. I think it's just on top of everyone's minds right now. And so, again, that enrollment period is open right now at connectforhealthcolorado.com. Um, and remember, with the new stimulus package as well, um, testing uh, is free. And Phil Weiser is here, Attorney General. I just want to underscore that we in Colorado have had this great Medicaid expansion and commitment to protecting people, even with pre-existing conditions. That's all now being raised up in the air um, by the federal government actually suing to invalidate this important health insurance. So now our office is fighting to protect health care and the Medicaid expansion that's there is a safety net and the protection for people with pre-existing conditions. So uh, we in Colorado real model how to stand up for health care. Thank you all for that important information. Right now, we've got Jill on the line with a question we'd like to direct to Leader Garnett. Good afternoon, Jill. Jill? Jill, are you with us? Uh, hello? Leader. Hi, Jill. What's, what's your question? Two questions. Thank you. Um, number one, when will the Colorado legislature reconvene? And secondly, where can we find more information on small business loans? Thanks, Jill. Uh, two uh, great questions. First one, um, as you know, the Constitution, Colorado's Constitution says the legislature meets for 120 calendar days each year. That uh, is usually from January to May. We are obviously in that time. So due to protecting uh, public health, we went into recess because as you know, a lot of people come and testify uh, you know, before our committees come to the Capitol to do tours and to participate with the legislature really is the people's house. So to keep everybody safe, we went into recess. The governor has the authority to do executive orders. We now have a question, an interrogatory before the Colorado State Supreme Court asking if the time that we've been in recess counts against our 120-day session. I wanna thank Attorney General Phil Weiser for filing a brief on behalf of us saying that due to this pandemic, uh, it shouldn't, you know, the Constitution is silent on whether or not those days are continuous. And so we should hear back from the state Supreme Court this week. Once we have an understanding of how many days we have left, we will determine when it's safe to come back into the building and conduct the people's work. There are some things that we have to get done this year, like passing a balanced state budget and passing the School Finance Act to make sure that money gets to our 178 school districts. So we will have to come back. We'll just have to come back when it's as safe as possible. And the, the best thing to do to find more information on small business loans, the Office of Economic Development and International Trade has an economic injury hotline that you can call to learn more about the SBA loans that are available. And so I'm gonna give you a number right now that you should jot down. Anybody who has questions um, uh, can go, can go and, and call this hotline. It's 303-860-5881. You can also go on to um, the Office of Economic Development and International Trades website. There is a small business navigator um, and a bunch of resources there uh, for small business owners. And thanks so much for that question. Thank you for that. And before I turn it over to Majority Leader Garnett and Representative Herod for some closing remarks, I'd like to remind everyone that if we weren't able to get to your question or comment, please remain on the phone, and at the end of the call, you can leave a voicemail. 
Leave your name, address, email address, and your message. Majority Leader? Thank you everybody so much for being on the call this afternoon. I really wanna thank our panelists who are experts in their field and who took time out of their busy schedules, helping on the front lines um, to provide answers to these questions. I think we had over 1,500 people on the call today, and I know that we didn't get to a lot of those questions. So please uh, leave a message and we'll do everything we can to get back um, to those in a timely manner. And just know you can always follow me or Leslie Herod on um, social media or on Twitter. You can always shoot us emails or call our cell phones. We want to be as responsive as we possibly can. And thank you again for everything you're doing to help protect our community. Thank you. And again, thank you, Majority Leader Garnett, for all the work that you're doing and for joining this call with us today. Uh, thank you to Attorney General Phil Weiser, Dr. Berman, Dr. Ott, um, and uh, Patrick T uh, Tiergan. Um, sorry, I know I pronounced that wrong, but um, we do appreciate all the work that you're doing. We know you are extremely, extremely busy um, and are grateful for all the time that you're taking to not only answer the questions on this call today, but the many questions that our constituents are sending us via email, um, social media, and phone. So thank you so much for that. Um, I just want to say that, again, I'm just so encouraged by everyone who is really reaching out to help their neighbors and their communities and their friends and even new people that they don't even know. Um, the number of folks who are going to pick up groceries, um, who are dropping toilet paper off um, at people's houses, um, all of the things that folks are doing is just really helping, just even being a, a listening ear to folks who need support. Thank you for that. It just makes me so proud to be a Coloradan and so proud to represent Denver. Um, what I will add is just make sure to practice social distancing. I know sometimes it sucks to stay at home, um, but we have to. We have to stay home. We have to practice social distancing if we must go out. That is the way that we stop the spread of, of the coronavirus, and we ensure that we limit the number of folks who are impacted. Um, our hospitals are strained. Um, our, our healthcare workers, our grocery stores, all everyone is strained, and so we must all do our part to ensure that folks are getting what they need, but also that we contain the spread. So again, thank you all so much for being on this phone call today. Um, please do follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then my website is www.lesslieherodforcolorado.com. We'll make sure to get to you with all of your answers to all of your questions. Um, just make sure they get to us, leave a voicemail, or shoot them to us on social media. Thanks so much.